Hello, happy end of 2020. I guess a lot of people, it's not like, you know, 2020 is going to be over tonight. And it's, you know, 2021 starts and all our problems go away. But it hopefully the lion's share of things happen in 2021 for you and your family and your loved ones and everyone listening and that everyone even not listening uh, is that there's not as many harmful things or painful things happening in 2021. So to start out uh, yesterday, it was the day after I was released from the hospital from, and this is the last I talked about surgery, but it's kind of funny. This is not about the surgery. It's about a phone call that Abby received and we're sitting uh, in our living room Abby's playing a message and it uh, on the surface it seems as if the uh, message is a wrong message I mean uh, hopefully it's a wrong message but this is what our impression was Abby played it for me and we heard it at the same time so uh, this is me recording, recording the message that came through, and then I'll tell you what we thought originally. I'm like, no more comment. You're going to hear a woman's voice who we're not really familiar with. Oh, you're going to hear my voice and then a woman's voice, and then then we'll go to the analysis, okay? And hopefully it'll be humorous. Here we go. Hey guys, this is the recording I told you about. Let's hear it. Abby's going to play it. Miss Cassidy, how are you? This is Snow. Just checking to see you season greeting. Okay, I'll call you back at the new year. Okay. Back in the new year. <laughs> oh, that's fucking awesome. Okay. So what we heard when we were uh, playing that, and I'm sitting there and we're ready to settle in, was, Hi, uh, this is so-and-so, uh, I'm calling so-and-so, just checking to see if he is breathing. We'll check in a new year with you. And that's what we heard the first and second time. So I'm going to play it one more time, and I'm sorry if it's boring, but yeah, we it was, it was funny. The first, uh, I'm thinking, holy crap, it was kind of scary, actually, because uh, I'll, I'll tell you the other part, but played it back and I heard the same thing because that's I guess it's called a confirmational bias and I wasn't listening I heard a message that I thought I heard and that's what I heard the second time and here's the second time but I'm, I'm not going to pay it a third time just listen up hey guys this is the recording I told you about let's hear it Abby's going to play it hi Mrs. Miss Cassidy, how are you? This is Snow. Just checking to see you season's greeting. Okay, I'll call you back at the new year. Okay. Back in the new year. <laughs> oh, that's fucking awesome. Okay. So, we heard it. And I'll tell you what it really said. Well, I mean, it sounded, sounded like first time we heard it. I'm like, holy shit. Uh someone's wishing me ill or, or just 
carelessly check it, just see if Jim's still sucking air. Or, and then, uh, you know, if I, luckily I'm not, I'm not drinking or anything, so I didn't think it was some random voodoo woman who's checking on her curse to see, oh, well, listen, I did a curse on Jim, and I'm just making sure, just checking to see if he's breathing. Uh, What she really said, though, oh, God, I forgot, this is uh, Cecily, or I'm checking, I'm calling Cecily, this is Slew, just checking in on season's greeting. I'll call you back in a new year. That was it. Very innocent. But the first two were very, the first two interpretations were hilarious. We were just thinking either, you know, because we thought originally when we first heard it was, well, this message wasn't for me. It was for someone else. And then, oh, well, first it was for me. And then we heard someone else's voice. It was for someone else. And then we go, oh, my God, why is she checking to see? Oh, we, we walk in on a murder um, conspiracy or something like that. They're just checking on each other to make sure, you know, if he's breathing. And, you know, we gave him some poison. or, And then the voodoo, the voodoo curse thing. And then we realize it's someone just calling up, check, you know, giving someone's a season's greeting. But that was really kind of appropriate for 2020. Uh, if he's like 2021 calling and saying, hey, just calling in to check if see if you're still breathing. See you in the new year. I mean, it was perfect. And that, that happened yesterday. We didn't have anybody call us and that just happened. Uh, that just happened. I noticed my behavior has been affected through all the... Uh, uh, I, I didn't have a lot of medical procedures. I only had one. I... You know, I have my thing going on. I just have a drain sticking in. I'm, I'm, I'm doing great at recovering. But uh, 2020, we have a lot to unravel here. And I'm sure people, you'll see your year-end reviews on every every uh, show that does, you know, kind of things, year-end reviews. It could be music, sports, co- I mean, COVID. It's going to be almost all COVID, right? But, you know, people have other things that go in their life, hence my my uh, thing we had expectations my my surgical thing but we had expectations on how 2020 was supposed to go right for us uh, my goals in in the new year my main goals was to monetize this show and make it uh, profitable you know seek out sponsors and things like that which I intend to do I have another more than a week off so I'm going to work on that but also uh, I was going to go to uh, with my family Abby and I we were going to go to Poland in the summer so uh, we I mean out quickly and it just took a couple weeks to figure out that that wasn't going to happen and uh, I knew I was going to have to get minor things like a new car and uh, you know check up on my health maintenance and all that stuff. But, the, the, you know, you heard ad nauseum about my medical issues, so we're not going to talk about that. We're done with that. Uh, I did have a new perspective. I have a new perspective on things. I, I, I know it's probably been tried before, but there is a genre of uh, comedy that a lot of people uh, may ignore, and it's nursing home uh, comedy. 
you know, you you got to work in the bedpans and 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 wheelchairs and activities and the food. I know it sounds kind of dreary and stuff like that, but 2020 has brought that home. Considering I know there was a lot of danger, I'm not making light of uh, people's plight in there. We're just I'm just talking about the genre of comedy and how to present it. And I felt closer to that nursing home mentality the last three days. What's today? Thursday? Yeah, the last four days, let's say. Start Monday, today's Thursday. You know, being in the, the hospital and things like that. And realize that the your perspective on seeing things, uh, finding things funny depends on what your, you know, access is to freedom, actually, really. Because I know if you've seen the last one of the last Seinfeld episodes, he's doing a stand-up act in prison. There's people that do stand-up acts on um, cruise ships, small comedy stores. You have the stadiums that people used to do, like, uh, let's pick someone, like Robin Williams used to perform in front of uh, a stadium, or I, I don't know why I picked Robin Williams, but almost any Louis C.K. or someone like that, and and it's just your perspective has to do with your audience, and so and that kind of equates to 2020 when COVID-19. Now, we I recall, and everyone else does that we started hearing stories. Before the end of December, if you watch news and international news, you started hearing stories about um, a sickness, a virus coming out of China. And, you know, it's just in the back of your mind when you start hearing it. You hear it could be the new flu and all that stuff. I was working at uh, Baptist. I still am working for uh, the Baptist Health System part-time. And... A couple months before, I had to get my uh, flu shot. I think in November, I got my flu shot. Uh, my annual flu shot that almost every employee has to get at the for the Baptist Health System. And then we started hearing the stirrings of it. It's got bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, you know, it started up in the Northeast. You heard it, uh, well, actually, on the West Coast, the Northeast, blah, 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 blah. But here... Where we are, where it concerns Keys Bartender, it was March 22nd when the Board of County Commissioners in the Florida Keys decided that all the things, the infection rate was like really high in Miami-Dade and uh, Broward County, which are directly north of the island chain we're on, the Keys. When you go up the stretch to get to the mainland, at mile marker 113, there's a demarcation for Miami-Dade County. Virtually nobody lives on this stretch. There's only maybe maybe 100 or so people that live up in that area. And then you got the, a, a detention center up there, too, until you get up to Honestead. But then that was a hotbed for infection. And the Board of County Commissioners decided to do a checkpoint. They said, listen, we have a very low. We had, at the time, on March 22nd, they had like 110 uh, known infections and three or four known deaths, and they wanted to 
reduce the amount. They knew right away. They said, well, if you have all this infection going on up uh, on, on the mainland, just curtail it. Keep the people down there. The, the state was kind of going on a lockdown and things like that. They were, we were doing... Um, I, I don't exactly know the timeline for that, but what happened initially, the state started putting everyone down on for restaurants and bars, takeout only, right? And no one knew, obviously, no one knew how to do this. So they, people were saying, well, they didn't know if they could survive on takeout. They didn't know what the thing was going to be with that. And as it turned out, I, I did, I think I did a couple of recordings of it, we didn't have that many takeouts. We may have had like eight or ten takeouts the first day. People were kind of spooked then. Uh, they set up a checkpoint up on US-1 and County Road 905, the two access points from the mainland to the Keys. And it was staffed by uh, Monroe County Sheriff's deputies, Florida State Troopers, and uh, Florida Fish and Wildlife Officers uh, 24 hours a day. And it that checkpoint lasted for 10 weeks and it kept people who were not residents or did not have legitimate business in the Keys, you know, like delivery or jobs and things like that. And I think the first day or two, they, they turned away like 2000 vehicles and I'm just paraphrasing, but it's, it's upwards of like 1200 to 2000 and they turned them around and they told them, say, you know, uh, this, they told him what I just told you about being a resident and a legitimate business. And it quickly developed down here when uh, the restaurants went to take out only and then people realized, well, <laughs> there's no business down here then. Uh, the estimates went to, like the daily uh, traffic went down immediately down 50% on the, uh, to 50%. And on the weekends, it hovered about 20% the amount of traffic down here at the time. So there was only one-fifth, about one-fifth the amount of traffic. And that's um, not speculation for me. That's um, from study that they uh, posted on news sites. Uh, so interesting ha things happened. Uh, anecdotally, when the restaurant closed, we, uh, you know, we w went home. I'll talk about more what it was like being homebound, but you know what it was like. Uh, I don't need to go in detail with that. But for there were still people that wanted to come down here to the Keys. And they just had to. Uh, let's say there was one couple that kidnapped a 17-year-old young girl in Homestead who was a uh, Keys resident and forced her to drive to Tavernier. And then eventually when she let the two people out, who's a man and woman, they, uh, she called her uh, family or, and then they called the cops and, uh, for help. And they apprehended the two people that wanted to get down here. I didn't get any further information why they were so eager to come down here. Uh, there was a, a, a woman named Zoe Levin from Wisconsin, 46 years old. That was an interesting one for, she drove up to the checkpoint sometime in April, I think. And she told the deputy, she goes, listen, I got to cross this off the uh, bu my bucket list. I wanted to drive over to Florida Keys, and this is on my bucket list. And they said, I'm sorry, you can't do it. And she goes, well, I'm, the, she, I'm 
she gets turned around. I think she she just drives through the second time. And they told him if she did, she'd be arrested. And she was arrested. There was another guy with a boat that got stopped. There was a whole probably a bunch of them like that. But then they started finding counterfeit residency stickers, reentry passes that they give you for hurricanes and you put on your windshield. And that was interesting. People just had to get down here and stuff like that. And there's people with vacation homes. And I know they had a hard time, some of the people with vacation homes getting down here and didn't like everyone had their own. Everyone has their own agenda. So the county's agenda was to reduce the amount of infection spreading in here and bringing people in willy-nilly. Now, you don't like to hear the word willy-nilly, but you're up there in the population in a more crowded area, and you're interacting with a lot more different people. There's just a higher, there was a higher rate of transmission. And down here, if you restricted the amount of people coming in, they they rationalized that there'd be uh, less chance of infection, which there was in the beginning. There was a much less chance. It just, it was demonstrable demonstrably less and since we open we have more now people argue the amount of testing and things like that but then there were effects and there's a lot more deaths now whether it's worth it or not to leave it open if you're weighing the the business the cost of business the way it costs the lives and whether you know we all the arguments for underlying conditions they're going to be laid out and and uh ad nauseum in the future when the people are looking back, remember history is one of those things that make people uh, really dissect things and they get a better perspective, like a thousand foot perspective over the thing. But uh, the checkpoints weren't, uh, we had checkpoints before after hurricanes and things like that. After Irma, there was a big checkpoint that was manned by um, the National Guard and the state and all that stuff after Irma, which we went through in the early 80s. They were doing checkpoints into the keys to curtail drug trafficking. And that prompted the ceremonial act of rebellion, the establishment of the Conch Republic. It was just, you know, uh, a bunch of locals deciding, you know, firing a cannon and stuff like that, deciding that the, the barricades by the U.S. government or the DEA or border control was... Uh, kind of kind of like a saying that we were a different country and they they ceremonially should do it now now every year well they haven't done it this year they do conch Conc republic days and things like that but it was very interesting during that uh, lockdown when we had it you notice when you're driving down here you see a lot less people coming down here you obviously got the keys prior to the lockdown when things started really picking up in on the mainland, we, uh, just like any place else in the United States, we saw a dearth of, you know, just a lack of paper goods. No toilet paper, uh, paper towels, uh, tissues. They just disappeared in the Keys. And it wasn't like we had an option of going to another store because we only had down here, we had a certain amount of stores to get our things and they were cleaned out. And we heard stories of people buying out all their supplies and taking. So there was an idea. I don't know how I can't attest to how factual it is, but 
that a lot of people were coming down here and cleaning out supplies. So there was a lot of the, you know, the meat was gone for a while. We uh, noticed in the parking lot, in the Publix here, there was wild chickens, you know, just roosters and hens and things like that. And for uh, more than a couple months, we'd sell no hens, no hens. There were all roosters floating around, just a couple of them. And I just thought, hey, maybe some people just decided to, you know, just go for their food source right there in the parking lot, not wait to try to find chicken in the poultry section. But, yeah, now the chickens are back. You see the chickens because there's plenty of chicken in there. and People don't need to do that. But when we shut down here, we noticed that uh, just besides the less traffic, when you're going around, you see you saw people. You, you started everyone like uh, the rest of the country and the world. We started doing things more remotely. I was when the you know, things started out in March here, in the Keys at least, the COVID. I was about four months into my newfound sobriety. And I started finding after April when things picked up a little and I wanted, I worried about my family, I started doing Zoom meetings of AA. And I did not, I was familiar with Skype and we've done, I, I did video calls before for years, but the Zoom was a new one for me when it comes to conferencing, having so many people involved. Usually video conferencing prior to 2020 was a high tech thing or some option you could do, uh, but you had to be a little more adept at it. But with the Zoom meetings, they, uh, they they made it easier, more user friendly, and if you may recall, if you don't, a lot of AA meetings there was uh, AA is very important in person meeting and stuff like that, and you know you have business and stuff like that, but people are very serious about their AA meetings. And what happened to a bunch of the AA meetings? They did not secure their sites and their passwords, and they a lot of people were un familiar with how to use all the tools of Zoom and how to restrict access and people from talking and things like that. So there was a bunch of Zoom meetings and I was on uh, two of them where just people would show up and start saying outrageous outrageous things, saying the N-word and this and posting porn. There was a lot of gay porn on those two calls. You know, just see a little, a lot of dick and all that stuff going on in there. And people were kind of, I guess, at a meeting because people dependent. People are serious about their A meetings. And, and they take it seriously when people interrupt them, just like you would in a church meeting. Someone just stood up and started saying cockballs and all that stuff. Uh, maybe not as an extreme separation as possible, but there's a certain propriety on how people behave in those things. And some people got really upset and they would just jump right off. Now, on people that, there's people's head spaces are differently. A lot of people going to AA, stuff like that, some of them are damaged, some are, meaning they're hurt and they just want to, they want to be sober, they want to claim the sober lifestyle and they're just upset that people 
doing the impropriety of posting these things and saying these things, and they got upset right away. But there were some people, and I think I was included, I thought it was funny. I thought it was hilarious, but then I thought, wow, these poor guys, this is pretty much the extent. I'm not talking about the people trying to attend the meetings, the guys that are posting this. They were so lonely, they had to go and post porn in an AA meeting, and that was their entertainment. I realized how low we sank, but we had that. Um, There was a lot of, uh, when you were going out, in the beginning, there was a lot of argument. There still is about the mask. You still hear it today. Uh, but we had the checkpoints in the Keys for 10 weeks, and people were flipping out right at that time, even though there weren't a lot of people trying to come down yet. Uh, but the um, there were protests. You'd see protests in Key West and things like that. People, you know, and some of it was it was it was what it was. It was a there was some people protesting saying they were business owners, and other people weren't business owners. There were people that depended on business. Obviously, if you didn't depend on people being down here, you had less of incentive to want it to be open because you like first of all it's not crowded. You can get all the shit you need from the stores, um, but. There was a lot of people that were pissed off about their favorite watering hole not being open and stuff like that. And we dealt with that until I think about the second week, when the uh, second week of May, people started, when uh, Florida started opening up to like 25, 50% uh, restaurant uh, capacity. And you know, we were dealing with it where all the workers wear, you know, a mask. And how we required people to wear a mask when it came in. And it was mandated by Monroe County, blah, 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 blah. So everyone's been through that stuff. But the reopening of of the Keys was June 1st. And then you just started seeing first it was the the people that wanted to visit for the day. Because there weren't a lot of people flying and stuff like that. I remember seeing a video of someone from right before they locked down everything someone coming into the keys flying into QS and everything was locked down i said what a waste of fucking time that was but besides the zoom and all the things and the restrictions on the people not having to dine in uh, one thing everyone had to go through i mean if they did have uh, unfortunately there's some homeless down here is that they sp- spent time with the people they were live with Unless, you know, you, I mean, that's, we, you know, we had access to, a lot of people have access to water, so they can go on a boat and do whatever they want, things like that. But a lot of people spent a lot of extra time. I mean, it wasn't like city people, city people, well, New York and all that stuff. They were stuck in the apartments and stuff like that, and Chicago and all that stuff. But here we had, we, uh, the, the family, uh, we made sure all our bikes were working. We got them repaired and, and we started bike riding and doing things together. And what we found that uh, we actually kind of liked each other and we enjoyed each other. The the toughest had to be on our 13-year-old daughter and uh, because, you know, she's just entering. She was a, she is a social child. She enjoys her a child, a young woman. And uh, she, at 13 years old, what you, you're told you're not can't meet with your friends. And she wasn't 
she was an outgoing girl. She had a lot of friends and she started missing them, just like a lot of your kids and your neighbor's kids or your nieces and nephews and all those things. But the the rise of being in, in home and then people found these, I think, these fractures in the way they communicated. And if you had a broken relationship and you were handling it prior to COVID by staying separated and being busy doing other things, you were probably not seeing it. But once COVID came around, you're stuck in the same house, you're working from home and stuff like that, and you're forced to uh, more close in uh, relationship with those people. Then you started seeing those fractures and things that went wrong. And we fortunately we didn't have that problem i'm not saying that most people probably didn't have that problem but we hear a lot about a lot of the divorces and separations and um horrible things that happen when people are stuck at home together and we also saw besides just working at home now obviously there was a uh, a class difference with that because a lot of the uh, jobs where people are available from working from home it's, it could be a clerical clerical works pretty good with that especially when you could even set up a remote receptionist with an in-person thing in the office where they don't even have to be there they could just take a picture look at you and stuff they don't even have to because they don't they don't really have to be there if they're going to their communications are available and they have a, a laptop hooked into your system maybe you're worried about your uh, breach of security or something like that. But a lot of those people from receptionists on up until the better paying jobs became more remote, like a, obviously a lawyer, an accountant, uh, an engineer. That, But people in the service industry, but first of all, they had the restaurants closed. But people in service industries, there's no remote working from home, like a mechanic, plumber. Heating a you know heating AC person all that shit um, made a bartender there was no there was no working from home if you were working from home you were you had one customer and it was yourself and I uh, I didn't really want to be serving myself then but I didn't spend a lot of time who's kidding who I didn't um, I wasn't a problem drinker because I liked making craft cocktails I drank mine neat and a lot. That was the most important part of it. I drank my liquor neat and a lot. When I was drinking, I'm not doing it anymore. But we found out there was a whole bunch of people that cannot work from home. So they had all the different incentives for people to work up. Like I'm tied to the tourist industry. But also to the locals. Luckily, I work at the Catch Restaurant in Key Largo. When we reopened, we had our locals come in. And the first infusion of that, we had a lot of love come in for locals. They knew that we weren't getting paid. We're not in that kind of job. And we fared all right. Okay. Now, uh, I'm going to just skip over. You heard ad nauseum about my medical stuff. So just remember that medical stuff. I had all the problems with the rescheduling. But another thing people missed out on, it's... Besides grocery stores, drug stores, and hardware stores where people have to, like if they're doing a project, they need to go to a hardware store or, or, or get things they need immediately, like drugs and uh, food and uh, alcohol. Those are in-person pl- in places that seem to still do all right. And some of them even thrived. 
But a lot of people, if you think about, we lived in the Keys down here. There was maybe 30% of the people were comfortable doing their shopping online. And what happened is COVID kind of pushed people further into that online shopping experience by going to Instacart and all these things were getting delivery. And some of the restaurants went delivery. Somebody, um, uh, well, obviously the grocery stores, we started seeing people going in there and uh, shopping big orders. You see these huge these people come in with like two shopping carts and stuff and they're loaded. And you look at the person, they don't even look like they have a family. And they're just running around like crazy. I did that a couple of years before COVID-19. I, did, I was trying to do that for my vacation services, delivery for the keys. And when these online things started coming, I decided to get out of it. But a lot of these p- people, gig workers had to go in. Gig workers are people that pick up these online jobs. And they're shopping. It's a shitty, shitty job to do. It's a lot of pressure trying to get exactly what people want and how they want it. Think about meat and vegetables and fruit. You're just picking out, oh, I don't want my, I, I, I did orders like avocados. I want them ripe, but not too ripe. I want them to be ripe in two, three days. And I want good strawberries and this and that. And you can't tell unless you taste them really if they're, they are. But that gig working thing was really really stressful but the the um that online shopping and we already uh down here the big brick and mortar store here that was on the way dying before COVID-19 was the Kmart and that was our big general store down here in the upper keys and like a lot of middle class communities there's those dollar stores we had family dollar uh, Dollar General or Dollar Tree or whatever, and uh, the drug stores and one Office Depot or Office Max right here in Key Largo, and some small um, to medium hardware stores. We got to actually have a great hardware store in Key Largo, but that killed it. That finally killed it. It put the nail in the coffin. And we don't really have malls. We have a couple places that have strip malls and stuff like that. And people go here because this, there's no other place to go. So you have a certain amount of stores. So I don't know if it's going to be affected less or more. Down. It's probably going to be affected less. But I can imagine the malls and everything closing down with people. Just a couple percentage points shifting to online shopping as people got more uncomfortable or more got more comfortable ordering their clothing, their shoes, everything they need. And they say, well, I can either go to these five stores, take a whole day looking for this white item, or I can spend one hour online checking out the reviews and stuff like that. And people, some of the people, I'm not saying there was a lot of people that were out there already comfortable with online shopping, but I'm saying it pushed it another maybe whatever it was, 20% more people access, people that had internet access to do it. There's a whole bunch of people that economically don't have internet access or, or things like that and don't have the the banking uh, tools, meaning to, to be able to, some people work just on cash and they don't have the banking accounts and they pay cash for everything. Just that's the way it is for some. Some don't even have uh, a safe address to receive 
if you live in a building and it's a lower income building, obviously not so much here in the Keys, but someplace else on the mainland, you may not be able to receive deliveries if you have to go and work because you worry about your deliveries being taken. Things like that. Certain people that aren't doing that, but there's a whole bunch of people on the borderlines, people that have their own, live in their single homes and stuff like that and feel comfortable about getting deliveries. They got more comfortable doing the shopping. So that couple percentage point is sending retail down the tube. Just remember, people don't make a lot of money in retail. And they were already losing to it prior to this lockdown. So brick and mortar stores, the ones that were borderline, and we see it with Kmart and Sears, and you'll see it with the others, all the other ones, TJ Maxx, JC Penney's, all that stuff is going to start um, going by the wayside. And they're going to have to figure out a way to do what they can do. Like the dollar stores, they make sense because the items are so cheap in there. It's doesn't make sense to, you know, deliver them because your the delivery costs cost more than the items that you're buying. Maybe right? There's probably going to be an end up thing where, where they do a dollar online ordering where they bulk package the inexpensive things to make that delivery cheaper. I, you know, hey, you're welcome to have that idea out there, but there's going to be someone so. The things I learned besides people becoming more comfortable with technology and stuff like that is uh, especially with what I had went through and what I see other people going through that in the United States, the regular middle class people are very generous. Percentage wise, world's more generous than um, I hate to say it, than more fortunate. And it's just a way because I think it's empathy and things like that. There was, uh, I've seen people with very little resources donating their time and money. Uh, and, and when you have someone who has very little donate something, it means more if you think about it. Because obviously once your means are met, everything above it is excess. And there's some very wealthy people down here. And I'm not talking about to me personally, I'm talking about to other people. And, uh, I just noticed, I said, the U.S. is still a generous country. Uh, I know this. I've, I've got reacquainted to how important it is for young people to socialize with each other. Older people are easier, find it easier to isolate themselves. Younger people, especially teenagers and in their 20s, and things, they're just they're just learning their way around and it's very important for them to socialize with people and they it, it's critical and, and we make light of it and we call them super spreaders the kids and all that stuff the 20 year olds but they don't have relationships they have a lot of them the relationships are like temporary and things like that and I cannot I can understand that and I don't look down on them for wanting to be that way you know you're only young for a certain amount of time and you feel you know, want to go out, it's your, your, your leisure time, your pastime. If you socialize with your friends, is that your good time? That's the thing you miss the most. Um, I learned that I really love spending time with my family and that we get along great together. Th- that is so critical. I did not not realize that, you know, just we, we had the 
tools here to entertain ourselves. We had the, you know, the board games, we had the TV, the internet service, we had uh, all our needs met, food, shelter, uh, clothing, we're set with that. And we were fortunate. My, my daughter coped with it very well. Uh, Abby and I had each other. And we obviously had Abby and we have our dog. And we, we're, uh, I learned that people uh, are, are frightened when something new comes up, especially because of that hoarding. Hoarding, there was uh, no rational, really, basis for the hoarding part. It was so funny. Everyone went to the hoarding thing right away. but And a decent amount of people did the masking thing. But so many people hoarded. And, you know, you just thought about toilet paper all the time. We still got plenty of toilet paper. I don't know. We may be like 10 rolls into our post-COVID toilet paper. Meaning the, the ones we had like a month or two into COVID. We may be... We have a new supply and stuff like that. But we had enough when there was a shortage and stuff like that. People just find, they they start getting scared when they think there's going to be things disappearing. I guess that happened with the meat and all that stuff and dairy and things like that. And then also people did things like with the board games and the Zoom calling and all these things they're not used to doing. And it it includes baking because one time I went to get some baking supplies to get some flour or or yeast and things like that. And it was all these baking items were missing. They didn't resupply them. And they weren't ready for them. There weren't people there. Besides those other people saying, oh, listen, we're going to bake at home. So it was kind of weird because then people are making their own bread and things like that, which is not as, you know, sometimes a loaf of bread is easier to buy. But it's not as good for you, right? And uh, you learn how many times you could absolutely watch the same TV show or movie if you thought it was your favorite movie. Um, so that that we le- we learned a lot, and then the, the politics, the politics of people taking something that should be based in science about the mask, and um, I'll have to disagree with people worrying about. Um, you know, though it, it, it's much like the celiac disease with the people that have the gluten allergies, where people don't want to wear a mask, they automatically say they started thinking that they're going to get CO2 poisoning. Take it from me, a 57-year-old man who taught spin with a mask on, and I was working out with him, and I'm yelling at him and something, you know, yelling, I give an instruction while I'm doing it with a mask on. And doing it 80 to 90 percent of my exertion rate and not passing out. And I had smoked for years, so my lung capacity is not perfect, but I was able to do it. So when I see a younger person walk around, it seems obviously fine, and they have a problem with wearing a mask. It's, it's just think about it. Just any particle you don't have flying around, like a, a spit or anything like that. That's part of it. You're not. It's not a perfect protection, but it's somewhat perfect protection. It's like a seatbelt. You know, you can get killed wearing a seatbelt, but it enhances the chance that you don't die when you're wearing a seatbelt. And, but the politics of, of it and then making it a political issue, that was, that didn't make any sense. But I can understand people have their own views and 
all this stuff and we we talked about politics and things like that but there's some things so important that you really don't have to and it just shows you that how much you care about it. even if like I don't belong I don't believe in Santa Claus right I don't believe in Santa Claus right but when I came across a six-year-old that believes in Santa Claus I realized that makes them calm it does not hurt them so I pretend to believe in Santa Claus when I'm around. Now that's just to make them feel at ease. If making him believing in Santa Claus made me safer or possibility to make me safer, then that would have been even more of the reason. But this is just to make put another person at ease. Why wouldn't you want to do that? But like I said, it's a health reason and stuff like that. So we're going to see more and more. We're going to see... Uh, what uh, 2021 brings out. There's one thing I learned because of this show, Key's Bartender. Uh, like I said, the middle class is very generous. We just uh, I just saw a little news item where Mike Pence, someone had, <laughs> his, uh, was tipping uh, about 11% on his bill, on his vacation. I guess he's skiing out in Utah or Colorado or something like that. So Mike Pence, uh, why wouldn't you be a shitty tipper? Because you, uh, I'm not surprised. Um, and another thing, the metaphor, the last thing I like to wrap up uh, 2020 with is um, I don't know what could be more iconic, but Gilligan's Island. Think about it. Uh, what's a woman's name? Dawn Wells, the woman that played Marianne on Gilligan's Island, the wholesome woman from either Indiana or something like that, Kentucky or something like that. She wore the T-shirts tied up in the back. I thought she was probably the the sexiest one on the show, but uh, she passed away. And Gilligan's Island kind of like was a metaphor for personality types for 2020. Do you think about it? How people really were uh, how they behaved during this. So think about uh, Gilligan's Island. And if you're familiar with it, follow me with this. And I'm going to do a ranking of the people there. You had uh, Gilligan, who kind of wants to do the right thing all the time, but he's just a total fuck-up. Can't can't do it. He uh, can't get it done. I can actually empathize with him because I've fucked things up before too. But remember, these are kind of like stereotypes of those people. So you had Gilligan. Total fuck up. Then you had the skipper. Strong, blustery, you know, loud. Um, trying to be in command. Uh, eats a lot. Uses up a lot of goods and stuff like that. But he serves a purpose, but not so much since the boat's gone, you know. You don't have a captain, you know, you have a captain without a boat. It's like having a, a taxi driver without a taxi. What are you going to do for me? Okay. And then you have, I'm going in order of the music, if you think about who's uh, Thurston and Lovey Howe. Okay. The privileged and title couple. The perfect, the, 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 the parody of the Karens, right? The people that are fucking entitled. They go to the front of the line. 
That's just who they are. And they don't contribute much. They just suck off you, you know. They just suck off the stuff. And they're the, you know, what would you call the job creators and stuff like that? They're creating jobs for people probably demanding things for from the resources they had. And you, you create the romantic notion that they did something to get the money other than probably inheriting it or using some kind of funding scheme to become wealthy or purchasing something ahead of time. You know what I mean? Purchasing Tesla stock early. So, but they're always, you know, the Hals were always like, well, they were, they were, they thought they were still on a cruise ship, even though it wasn't a cruise ship, it was a sightseeing tour. Why are millionaires going on a tiny sightseeing tour run by Gilligan and the skipper? I'll never know. But to behaving like they're on a four or five star cruise, when obviously you look around, and, you know, you're on this little tiny island. Then you have, uh, come up with ginger now ginger provides some value if you just think about the way she looks and stuff like that but she was apparently just her fame and her beauty and sex appeal that was what she had to offer and you know every so often she could help a little but she begrudgingly she helped a lot more than the house would and uh, then you have the professor now, he represents science and rational thought and all these things. And he had a, a single-minded notion to whatever he could do to get them off. And it was by creating something, communicating with someone, cr- creating a labor-saving sa- device like the washing machine or something where you create a bike. And make shit out of coke, make radios out of uh, uh, coconuts and shit like that. Um, totally oblivious, though. He's asexual. Totally kind of oblivious to uh, the wiles of Ginger or Marianne. I really never under. I mean, he should have been all over that. Or him or the skipper, you figure, would have been. And, and Gilligan, he just doesn't have a clue. And then you have Mary Ann. And Mary Ann was the least self-aware of any of them, I think. I mean, I think Gilgan was along that too. But she she didn't realize how cute she was, how pretty or anything, and how essential she was. She even behaved as if she, she did a lot of the work. She did, you know, the sewing, the cooking, and all that stuff. And she was kind of envious of Ginger's beauty and all that stuff, but really was she? She was she made pies, where uh, you know she, she figured out how to make pies and coconut or banana pie, banana cream pie and shit like that. I mean, she was the cook. How important was that? So, if you're going to value, you're going to evaluate people, and if it was one of these things where. Let's say it got a little rough on the island and you had to turn into something like a horror movie where they're running out of protein. So you have, let's start out with Gilligan. He's a zero. It really is a zero. There's nothing he could do other than provide food. 
because even if he one he knows how to do something, there's a possibility when he's doing it, he could get everyone killed. Or he can get you poisoned or whatever, something like that. You don't know. They never approach those scenarios. He'd be the kind of guy that would invite in headhunters and lead them back to the camp. So he's a negative on a value thing. Now, the skipper, without, he loved Gilligan and stuff like that, but he's always beating the shit out of him and stuff like smacking him with his hat. But the skipper didn't screw up as much. Stuff like that. And actually, Skipper was kind of tough, and he was good to have as a defender. I give him a high value. I give him on like an eight or nine on a ten. Now the Hals, uh, they may be the same as Gilligan. I may give them a one, but they definitely should be the next ones to be eaten. You know, definitely, definitely the next ones to be eaten. Gilligan and then the Hals, because the Hals may, well, you probably have to do the Hals anyway. Because they're going to screw up things by using up all your resources and stuff like that. They're not the kind of people to, to save. So, I mean, they did save their money, but they're not the kind. They're kind of be, they're wasteful with other things. You can see what they're done, their food. They wouldn't probably try to share it with someone else or anything. And it's probably an episode where they do. But, yeah, they, they could go. Now, Ginger, on the other hand, she provides value. If you think of the skipper... And you think of uh, the professor. She has the value of who she is. You know, I mean, that's, I'm sorry to say, that's brutal. That's misogynistic and stuff like that. But I'd have to see the two most valuable people on that island were the professor and Marianne. And they should have been the ones making all the decisions. Because they seem to be the most magnanimous and making their they made more decisions to benefit them everyone and they did things to benefit other people the other people were just takers think of this whenever you see that the, the howls were always taking shit you know if they had some like some hoarded stuff like a bottle of champagne and stuff like that they may bring it out but they hardly created their own things so they were takers and and so it was you know Ginger Ginger could help out somewhat but Gilligan total fuck up and stuff like that so you got the Hals and Gilligan would be the food source for a while and stuff like that so if you ever think of Gilligan's Island and stuff like that and you always say you know who's hotter or you know if you did the Marianne or Ginger thing um, if you talk about the two people you or three people you really needed. Uh, and, and you could, if you had to flesh it out to four, but the three people who really need, I would make it four just so the professor, they, were, they could pair up if they could. But uh, the professor, well, Marianne, the professor, right at the top, then Skipper, and then Ginger, and the rest of them, their food. I know, that's kind of cold, isn't it, for that? But hey, that's the way it is. On Gilligan's Island, and uh, I like to, on the passing of uh, Dawn Wells, we, we, uh, you know, we just remember how important you were there. And uh, in real life, I think she was helping the the woman who played uh, Lovey. And I know they're different. You know, I I don't think the actress was 
a waste of, of space. But the real woman that paid Lovey, Thurston Howe's wife, was a millionaire in her own right. She was married to some real estate investor. And she was older, and she, but she was pretty fit and all that stuff. And at one point, she got really sick. And Dawn Wells, the actress, moved in with the woman when she was going through breast cancer and took care of her. And uh, she left uh, some of her estate to Dawn. And Dawn, as well as, I think, one of the producers of the show or something like Dawn Wells, was one of the few people on the show that got her her manager or agent to ensure that she got um, the uh, what would they call not affiliate you know the um, well she got paid for 50 years after the end of uh, Gilligan she got residuals they they uh, she got paid on the show so she it turned out she was one of the smartest ones and maybe I don't know if it was a professor or one else was smart enough to, to negotiate that in their contract so uh, we'll end it there I hope that's not a down note but it isn't you know she she was 82 years old she passed away from complications due to COVID-19 Dawn Wells Marianne uh, we you were worthwhile you were the probably one of the most important people on that island and try to be, maybe all of us should be, try to maintain being the most valuable person in in the group that we're in. Much like uh, Marianne. And if you like the show, please listen to us in the, this year and the new year. Share it with your friends. I hope you have a safe and happy new year. Don't overdo it with the booze. Okay? You know how to do it. You know once you stop. Uh, you, you, most of you are aware of that. I had to stop doing it, but uh, and if you are doing fireworks, please be careful. Uh, a lot of fireworks have been canceled, especially all the fireworks have been canceled. The public fireworks that plays in in Key Largo, but I noticed at the Phantom Fireworks store, right? At, I don't want I don't want to even advertise it, but it's at the top of the island chain here. As you come into town. That there's as busy as it ever was. And I understand it. Because when I was 14, 15, 16, 17, I mean, until even now, if I didn't have an animal around and stuff like because my dog gets really upset. So now I'm cognizant of animals getting upset when they hear loud noises. But I love that stuff, firing off rockets and blowing things up. Who doesn't? I mean, if... People are afraid of loud noises, obviously. Uh, I burnt my hands once or twice. Never really, I never really blew myself up. I don't have any, I don't think I have any scars from fireworks, but a lot of people do. Uh, and we're expecting, I'm thinking it's going to be very loud tonight. And uh, I'd like to thank you for listening. I'm very appreciative for everyone who helped out. Uh, for uh, I'm, I'm appreciative of my family. Uh, Abby, Sky, my father, my mother, my sister, uh, brother, sisters, brother, uh, nieces, nephew, um, nephews, friends, all my friends down here. I'm uh, truly grateful. I'm happy I got the thing done I needed to have done. And I hope that uh, 2021 
for you is a, uh, a better year than 2020. But remember, not everything that happened here. I know it's horrible that in the grand scheme of things, horrible the thing that happened. But the the result or the, the fruition of what happened in 2020 doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing because people are growing closer. Uh, they found out who their friends were. They found out what they can handle, uh, how they are on their own. You know, they may have had to reevaluate their lives and stuff like that and their relationships. So there's a, there's a lot of good things that could come out of horrible circumstances like this. And uh, there's always going to be things that happen in different, even though it doesn't happen to all of us at the same time. Uh, certain areas, certain events create hardship for people and just be mindful of that. That you're not the only one going through it. I certainly learned that when I came home. I found out about my friend, good friend, Mike, who spent 27 days in the hospital with uh, a blood clot to his lung due to COVID, directly to COVID-19. And uh, I found out about it on the day he was being discharged, which is actually a blessing. A blessing for me because I could, you know, I would have been, oh, I'm sorry, can I do anything, blah, blah, blah. And then this, and then, but you, I get the bad news that he was in the hospital for 27 days, followed immediately by the good news that he's being released, which is kind of like a roller coaster, which is a nice thing because uh, it's good for anyone, but it's particularly for Mike. I, I'm glad that, and I hope the, the best for all of you. And uh, please share this uh, show as much as you can with your friends. You can listen to us on almost all the platforms that are out there. So all the platforms, all the podcast plat- platforms is going to be under Keys Bartender. If you have a problem finding Keys Bartender, go to Florida Keys Bartender. If you have a message for me in the new year, just send me an email at jim at keysbartender.com. That's jim at keysbartender.com. I'd like to thank all the people and all all around the world that listen to the show. And uh, whatever you're doing, uh, have a great new year. I know he said, I don't think you can say it too much. And have a safe one and a healthy one. So bye.